This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This summer, don't be left without air conditioning. Call Care Heating and Cooling and get on a care plan to protect your family. With a care plan, you get system maintenance and priority service in case of emergency, giving you peace of mind. Plus, a well-maintained air conditioner runs more efficiently and saves you money. At Care, their service technicians are paid to fix your AC, not sell you a new one. And their award-winning team is available seven days a week. Call Care today at 1-800-COOLING or book an appointment online at careheatingandcooling.com. When you need a company, you can trust. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I think something weird is going on with the government's kind of uh, switch in messaging around the whole COVID thing and uh, see if you buy my theory at all. Um, after we listen to a couple things, this is uh, uh, Walensky. Is that her name? She's uh, Rochelle the, Walensky, yeah. the, the lady running. Walensky. She's the lady that runs the, uh, the CDC. Dolensky. I'm going to run through the entire alphabet till I get it. Yes, Walensky with a W. Uh-huh. Sorry. Uh, so we're going to hear from her, but first we're going to hear from the governor, the new governor of of New York, because the old governor couldn't stop grabbing twenty year old women. They got a new governor who's a woman, but anyway, she was talking about. The um, who's dying and who's getting sick and who's in the hospitals with the COVID. Looking at just uh, on the 4th of January, we realized that 39% of the people are hospitalized with non-COVID related reasons. And checking in yesterday's number, that number was actually 42%. Now that is our statewide average. But it's important to also look at the variations in our different parts of the state. The most number of people admitted for non-COVID reasons as of just yesterday, or a couple days ago, are in New York City. Uh, It's about 50-50. 50-50. So half of the hospitalizations in New York City are someone who needs to be there because of their COVID, severity of their COVID situation, and the other half are there for other reasons. Why are they saying it out loud now? We've known this for a very, very long time. Now NPR... And liberal governors are saying it out loud. And now this from the CDC as I build my case. This is Wolinsky. I want to ask you about those encouraging headlines that we're talking about this morning. This new study showing just how well vaccines are working to prevent severe illness. Given that, is it time to start rethinking how we're living with this virus that it's potentially here to stay? The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. 
at least four. The overwhelming. So why have you been keeping this information from us? For, so the other information that all these months, and this has been true for a long time, maybe not as high as numbers, but still a pretty good chunk of the people you've been hearing about as hospitalization cases were people in there for other reasons that got tested and turns out they got COVID. And they were hiding that fact when it benefited them. How about that stat? How have you been hiding that one? The vast majority of people who have died from COVID had four or more comorbidities? Yeah. yeah. When you've been acting for the last two years that if you're just a healthy 25-year-old college kid walking down the street, you might get struck dead by COVID at any moment. Right, right. Yep. So I think this is what I think is going going on. Uh, I think... I think Joe Biden thought he could say crap like, I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus because it was about to run its course. And by the time he took his office, it was going to be more or less over. And he was going to take credit for the fact that it ended. But it hasn't worked out that way. There have been a couple of mutations. And now uh, more people died the first year of Joe Biden's presidency than the last year of Trump's presidency. And I think now they've got to change the whole story about all this source of, no, the people are in the hospital with those case numbers you're hearing. Not a big deal. They just happen to be there for other reasons. They got COVID and uh, the people that are dying, they had all kinds of health problems. So you can't lay that at the foot of any government policy. These people Hmm. were very ill. That's the only thing I can think of that they're now revealing information that has been known for a long time. Scott Atlas, the guy that got booted off Twitter a couple of times, the the doctor that's on Fox but uh, laughed at on all the other channels, he's been saying a lot of this stuff forever. Right. He got in trouble for saying it. Now the CDC director is saying it out loud. Why? Why? What's going on there? As we often say, there are very few things that are just one thing, and I think your theory is absolutely right. That absolutely partly explains it. I think the other part of it is, and first of all, let's agree, let's stipulate those in power are contemptuous of us, of we the people, the common folk, etc., um, and they believe that if they craft uh, our marching orders properly, uh, leaving out inconvenient truths, let's keep it simple for the dopes. Let's not give them the full array of the truth, because that would distract from what we want them to do. Okay? You run into that a lot in life. You know, teacher, parent, boss, government official, whatever. They simplify things. You don't need to know all of it. That would just, that would decrease your compliance. Your enemy, if you're going with that plan, your enemy is time. Because more and more people come to a greater and greater realization that, wait a minute, you've been misleading me in both minor and significant ways. And frankly, it's insulting to my intelligence. I could have handled the full truth. And now I'm not sure I believe a single damn thing you say. I think that has been building and building. Yeah, no kidding. And um, they no longer have the luxury of being the the great, the wise oracle on high telling us how to live our lives. It's it's certainly unfair to say that the that this has been known for the whole time because it took a while to get our hands around. Do you catch this for from services? You know who's it killing? Well, blah, and blah, Omicron's blah. different from Delta too. True, that's true. Uh, but it has been known for a very long time that. If you're obese and have high blood pressure and a couple of other things, as you just heard, and over 75, that's who it's killing. But, I mean, the vast majority of the numbers, that's who it's killing. 
And acting like it's the same level of risk for me or a high or a college kid or a child is just crazy. But that's what we've been doing the whole time. Well, and the obscene, I mean, the just angering hypocrisy of the we believe in science crowd. I mean, for instance, the, the COVID policies on universities. As I said before uh, earlier, Marty Macri, Dr. Marty Macri, his piece that uh, university COVID policies defy science and reason. They absolutely do. You got a, a bunch of healthy 19 year olds and you're imprisoning them because they might get the sniffles. It's, it's bizarre. I mean, seriously, in 50 years, to the extent that anybody looks back at this at all, people will look back on this and, and, and they will be convinced that we, the people of the early 21st century, were just nuts or stupid or superstitious or something. There will be no explaining it logically. Boy, masks are back in my uh, part of the world. I know in a lot of America you haven't worn a mask in months, but uh, at the park outside the other day, my son was the only one at the park without a mask, of all the kids and parents. The only one, one human being at the park, and there were probably 50 people there without a mask, and that was my son. That defies science and reason. That's superstition. I'll tell you what. That's tribalism. It works on your mind, though. You start thinking, am I doing something wrong? When you you look around and everybody else is doing something different, I talked myself out of it, but... Well, sure, yeah. It's a, if you see a bunch of people running in terror away from a particular point, y- you don't want to go toward it, you know, just instinctively. I get that. But it is, it's disturbing to hear that. And I didn't witness it personally. In in, in my part, uh, nobody's had a mask on in ages. <laughs> this is just recent, though. This is since the Omicron explosion. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah. had gone, it had gone to no masks mostly. Uh, certainly outside, but man, it is. Everybody's masked up now. W- Coronavirus! Been- Catch me outside. How about that? You can't. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, I've been saying for a while, we're all going to get Omicron. We're all going to get it. So just get used to it. Uh, the WHO just announced more than half of Europe's population may be infected with Omicron in weeks. Yeah, we're all going to get it. I mean, the, the, explain to me how we're not going to all get it. <laughs> People that are vaccinated are getting it. People that aren't vaccinated are getting it. It spreads. It's um, it's a miracle of biology the way it spreads. It's just absolutely incredible how spreadable it is. I, I think if we just embrace that, won't we and craft policy around that? Won't we be much better off? It is urgent. It is nearly at the emergency point that we move into the endemic phase. And say, hey, this is going to be around for a long time. It's an incredibly minor illness for most people. Let's be, let's, let's behave accordingly. Let's live our lives. And, you know, specifically, I'm looking at, and this is, this is, you know, uh, some old ground, but it's, it's renewed cancer screenings, uh, heart disease treatments, uh, uh so-called, uh, non-emergency surgeries, which we found out just means it's a surgery that can be scheduled. You might be in excruciating pain. It might threaten your life, what the surgery is addressing. But if it's a non-emergency surgery, they won't give it to you because of the sniffles going around. You know what's crazy? This is so freaking insane. I gotta, I gotta stay calm. <laughs> we simultaneously are seeing Companies and hospital systems, um, although fewer hospital systems now, and, and cities like the city of San Diego, firing, finally getting around to firing people who didn't get the jab. Meanwhile, the policy is healthcare workers who have an active case of COVID-19, the Omicron, can come to work and work. 
So if you refuse the vaccine, which really has minimal effect on you spreading the disease, you will be fired. But if you actually have the effing disease, you can come to work. Now, if that doesn't make you want to throw bricks through plate glass windows (laughs) or grab people by the throat and throttle them until they hear sense, I don't know what would. If if heads actually could explode, there would be brain all over the walls, wow. and Michelangelo would be going for a bucket in the janitor's closet. Because be the head, first time my head would have gone kerblooey. Two international stories around COVID. Bojo, Boris Johnson's in trouble for throwing an unmasked garden party. Oh, who gives a flying crumpet? And China has locked down another major city. Because of Omicron ahead of the Olympics, I think they're really worried that, uh, boy, if Beijing gets hit with the Omicron while the Olympics are going on. I mean, I know they're not going to have crowds, uh, really, but there's a lot of athletes there. Well, yeah, and, and here's the part I really like as a China hawk. Winnie the Pooh, she has committed to the zero COVID thing, which is, with Omicron, hilarious. I mean, zero COVID has gone from stupid to now just hilarious. And if he's going to keep doubling down on that sort of strategy as Omicron goes crazy across China, he is going to be exposed as a nut job. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my sexy pants on. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This is in the San Francisco Chironicle, written by a fellow by the name of Joe Matthews. And I quote, if California, and he's, he's talking about, obviously, the formerly golden state and soon to be the entire United States, if California is ever going to achieve true equity, the state must require parents to give away their children. Today's Californians often hold up equity. The idea of a just society, completely free from bias. Well, okay, wait a minute. As our greatest value. I'll finish the sentence. All right, number one, uh, most Californians don't hold up equity as our greatest value. Secondly, equity, as used in the modern world, is absolutely not the idea of a just society, completely free from bias. And you know it, you Marxist liar. That's the great lie. People are too stupid to accept Marxism, so we must force it down their throats by deceit. It's been true from the beginning. But anyway, this guy claims equity is our greatest value. Governor Gavin Newsom said he makes decisions through an equity lens. Institutions from dance ensembles to tech companies have publicly pledged themselves to equity, along with diversity and inclusion. Yeah, because they're cowards. But their promises of newly equitable systems are no match for the power of parents. Fathers and mothers with greater wealth, education, or other resources are more likely to transfer these advantages to their children, compounding privilege over generations. As a result, children of less advantaged parents face an uphill struggle. Social mobility is stalled. That's absolutely not true. And democracy has been corrupted. More Californians are giving up on the dream, according to a recent poll. Uh, My solution is simple, and while we wait for the legislation to pass, we can act now. The rich should give their children to the poor. No, this has got to be a joke. And the poor should give their children to the rich. (laughs) No, what? What? Homeowners might swap children with their homeless neighbors. Now, I recognize that some naysayers, hopelessly attached to their privilege, will dismiss, dismiss such a policy as ghastly, even totalitarian. But my proposal is quite modest, a fusion of traditional philosophy and today's most common political obsessions. 
So, I, 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 there's something missing here. There's no way this guy's writing a serious column where he's suggesting I give my children to a homeless person and raise the homeless person's children. <laughs> you know, he goes, he, he quotes Plato of old. His sage advice that children be possessed in common so that no parent will know his own offspring or any child his parents in an uh, order to defeat nepotism. And he goes on. Today, universal orphanhood aligns with powerful social trends that point to less interest in family. Uh, he points out people are slower to marry and have fewer children. The state's birth rate is at an all-time low. True. Surveys also suggest many of us are breaking off ties with family members who don't share our politics, which is sick shallow, rigid, and twisted. But my proposal would be unifying, fitting hand-in-glove with the most cherished policy of progressives and Trumpians alike. Wow. I tell you what, if this is humor, this is really, really subtle. (laughs) Too subtle. Boy, that's a crazy person. I mean, if he's serious, and it's so over the top, I can't take it seriously. If he's actually serious, he is a crazy person. I mean, he's a Hitler-like character. But wait, there's more. Uh, my proposal also would give Democrats the opportunity to build a new pillar of the social democracy they seek, a new system for raising children called foster care for all. Under this system, Democrats could stop pretending that they will enact universal preschool or child care, which they promised and failed to deliver for a generation. Over on the right, you'll see people posing as parent defenders, but Republicans are happy to jettison fathers and mothers to pursue their greatest passions like violating migrant rights. So this guy is militant. And they printed this in the San Francisco Chronicle. Yes, they did. Goes into abortion a little bit. Then here's, here's your big finish. Perhaps such coercion sounds dystopian. But just imagine the solidarity that universal orphanhood would create. Wouldn't children raised in one system find it easier to collaborate on climate change and other global problems? Now, I don't expect universal support for universal orphanhood. Oh, you don't? (laughs) A few contrarians lost in the empty chasm between American extremes might object to this rational proposal on emotional grounds. They might argue that pursuing your own conception of family is fundamental to freedom, or that our differences and biases, for all the damage they can do, also give human life much of its meaning. They may also suggest that people don't really want to start or finish at the same point in life. They may even say that what we really desire is what the title... Uh, orphan of the musical Annie insisted upon. I didn't want to be just another orphan, Mr. Warbucks. I wanted to believe I was special. But you shouldn't pay those critics any mind because they just can't see how a relentless pursuit of equity might birth a brave new world. Again, if that is sarcasm, he should have laid it on a little thicker. Hmm. That's crazy. I see who this guy writes for. Um... Zocalo Public Square. What is that? Is he trying to portray a crazy person who believes this sort of stuff to make a point? Is that it? Because it can't be real. Armstrong and Getty. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. 
or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Transport yourself back in time and explore the fascinating and harrowing story of the Titanic's maiden voyage. Now open at COSI. Don't miss Titanic, the Artifact Exhibition. This epic exhibit features over 200 authentic artifacts recovered from the ocean floor. Discover poignant passenger and crew accounts and majestic recreated interiors, including the iconic Titanic Grand Staircase. Tickets for Titanic, the Artifact Exhibition are on sale now. Book your voyage at COSI.org. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. There's a tsunami of wokeness. Everything woke turns to sh. There's a tsunami of wokeness. music can only mean one thing it's time to delve into the woke infection that's sweeping across the country you might recognize those flat tones or maybe not of sam harris it's a tsunami of wokeness if you've never heard any of his podcasts about wokeness and the threat to society it's really something he i mean he believes trump is an existential threat to america but he also believes wokeness is an existential threat to america yeah, he's an independent thinker. You might disagree with him on a, on a lot of stuff, but it, actually you've anticipated what I was just going to say. The heartening thing to me is that the woke, the vicious woke crowd is not that big, but they are vicious. But there are a lot of Americans left, right, and center who understand what a threat they are. Um, it, here's the problem, though. If you control education, which we're about to talk about, and the media, and entertainment, then you have an outsized influence, obviously. I mean, a huge influence. And they're working as hard as they can to indoctrinate our children, little children, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, in a fringe ideology that makes no freaking sense. But they're indoctrinating the poor, impressionable kids to think, anybody who speaks out against this is a hater, and anybody who appeals to logic or data, or common sense is a white supremacist. It's pretty handy, isn't it? You know, 
you enter into an argument and 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 somebody says, well, Joe, have you ever thought of this? And I'd say, you're a racist. They'd say, oh, dang it, you got me. That would be kind of nice, you know, to have that sort of rhetorical superpower. Of course, nobody does, unless you're just a bully and a liar. Having said that, this story, I can't even believe it's true. William Lajeunesse on Fox News last night talking about it's the equivalent of a loyalty oath that you need to take to get hired in many American universities, including so-called elite universities. We'll start with clip 80, Michael, and go from there. If you are seeking to work in education, you have very little chance of being hired at many schools unless you are woke enough. Colleges across the country are now refusing to hire candidates who cannot prove their commitment to specific progressive doctrine. National correspondent William Lajeunesse shows us from Westwood, California. A major controversy in higher education. Universities requiring professors pass a litmus test supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion as a condition of employment. What we're doing is we're putting a kind of filter or a screen on our incoming group of faculty to ensure that the next generation thinks in a univocal way about these really controversial issues. Those of us who are committed to diversity and equity are hoping to slowly change the culture and and the environment by having more conversations on these topics, by hiring more people committed. (laughs) That's hilarious. Change the already out-of-step-with-America environment to something further your direction. By the way, just a personal note, I think I flipped back three times to try to figure out what the hell that word was that the one muffled guy used. I think he said unithical. <laughs> unithical? Yes. W- of one mind. Okay. In ideological locks. Because we get into. Because university campuses are not of one mind enough yet. Wow. And they ought to strive for being everybody agrees on everything at a university. If you're just stepping out of a time machine, just 10 years, you're like, is there something wrong with my uh, my speaker here? What are these guys talking about? A university is the opposite. What the hell? Next clip. In 2018, UCLA was the first university to acquire a diversity statement for new hires. Today, most elite colleges do. Critics mock these statements as a loyalty pledge to woke or progressive values. We have increased the number of women and the number of people from underrepresented backgrounds who have been hired since we began using um, the diversity statements. Examples. At UC Davis, only applicants who submit persuasive and inspiring diversity statements are considered. NYU, applicants must show their experience in or knowledge of inclusion and diversity. Hofstra, how their teaching will contribute to a culturally diverse and inclusive environment. That's something that they singled out that university because I have a friend who retired from that very university quite a few years early because he couldn't go along with that stuff. Well, keeping in mind that diversity, equity, inclusion are not what they claim to be. They're twisting of the language as usual by the left. You have to, I mean, for instance, if you thought, no, I think this so-called equity is a mistake. I think discriminating to right historical wrongs is a terrible idea. I think it'll cause more damage than it will help. I think equality of opportunity, we need to stick with that and let it work. You could not get hired for any position in any department if you believe that, because you've rejected the equity part of it. Now, that is a mainstream view. That's probably a majority view. 
in the United States. Never mind the rightness or wrongness of it, which I have a pretty strong opinion on. But you represent a huge number of Americans holding those beliefs. You cannot get hired at a university. Yeah, I I feel like uh, the the university world feels like they are the bulwark against the unenlightened, which is right. a weird term to use because they are anti enlightenment and that we're just we're no longer going to have discussions and proof and evidence and all these different things. Um, right, but right, and words have magical powers. Right. Violence intent doesn't matter. It's just your feelings. Yeah, intent is the, the most important thing. <laughs> or, I mean, intent doesn't matter at all. Uh, right. It's the way the receiver took it is what matters, which is just crazy. Bring it home, Michael. Last one. Not everyone agrees these are a good idea. Requiring diversity statements is, is likely to make the university more politically liberal and, and less intellectually diverse. So if a candidate wrote, I treat all students equally based on merit, McBrayer says they would not get hired. But there is some pushback. Monday, a coalition of faculty nationwide urged universities to end the statements because they reduce diversity of thought. No way. Yeah, absolute lockstep uniformity of thought is of being required in our so-called elite universities. Of something that is a fringe of a fringe in terms of the overall population. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's almost worth seeing. It's so amazing that humankind can get so off base. I mean, if you told me that this could happen 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I'd have said you were nuts. And it's scary, and it's disturbing, and it will cause real damage. But just as a student of human beings, it's amazing to see. Yeah, pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's like seeing half your hometown join a cult or something. It's not a good thing, but, man, you've you've seen something. <laughs> you know, a new poll from NBC News uh, looked at, at second-year college and university students, and it's generating a fair amount of attention. The Washington Examiner has a really good editorial about it. Nearly half of college students would not room with someone who votes differently. More than half. That doesn't surprise me at all. <clears throat> the poll found that 54% of sophomores would definitely or probably um, be opened to living with someone who supported the person they, the presidential candidate they opposed in 2020, 54. Uh, what is it? I'm sorry, I misread that. More specifically, the poll found that 50 would definitely or, oh, or probably be open to their opposition, but 46% said probably not or definitely not. So it's, it's nearly half. Um, and then they make the point that, um, the hesitancy to live with and deal with somebody who thinks differently than you is incredibly dangerous. But specifically, the NBC poll found that the Democratic Democratic sophomores were significantly more opposed to rooming with someone who voted differently than Republicans. Almost two-thirds of the Democrats reported they would probably not or definitely not room with such a person. 62% to 28% Republicans said, well, the vast majority of Republicans said, that's fine, it doesn't matter. I don't, I wouldn't care, um, you know, young people take things uh, way more seriously than you do when you get a little older and you got other things to worry about, but um, I wouldn't have a problem as long as you're not going to talk about it all the time. I don't care how you vote. Is, is this going to be like a everyday thing that we talk about these issues? Yeah, yeah. And and granted, Trump kind of upped the ante in some of yeah, this stuff, but 10% oh of 
10% of conservatives say they've lost a friend over politics. It's about 30% of liberals. Just amazing. Absolutely amazing. The desire to never come across anybody who disagrees with you is not a good one. It's well, not a healthy one, especially <coughs> in a university. Yeah, it's two-part. It's that and that it's been elevated in our lives to, like, the only thing that matters. Um, yeah. Uh, those two things, just I don't know how we get out of that, where this is our national religion. I don't know. It drives yeah. me nuts. It's a tsunami of wokeness, Jack. Telling you. Armstrong and Getty. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, We've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, sandwich heads? Today on Steve O's Sandwich Reviews, we've got the tips and tricks to the best sandwich order. And it all starts with this little guy right here Pepsi Zero Sugar. Partial to pastrami, craving a Cubano. Yeah, sounds delicious, but boom! Add the crisp, refreshing taste of Pepsi Zero Sugar and cue the fireworks. Lunch, dinner, or late night, it'll be a sandwich worth celebrating. Trust me, your boy's eaten a lot of sandwiches in his day, and the one thing I can say with absolute fact every bite is better with Pepsi. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So this hurts my heart a little bit because as I think back to my childhood, family dinners were, well, number one, they were just assumed to be something that would happen. They were a rock. They were a tradition. They were something we could always count on. Right, yeah. When you brought this up, I was thinking about my life when I was a kid. And up until I got into sports in high school where I'd be away for a wrestling tournament or a golf tournament or something sometimes, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we didn't have a family dinner. I mean, it just was, 
It was like, did you get dressed this morning? Did you have yeah. a family dinner? Of course we did. And it might not be seven days a week as you get into sports or whatever, but it was regular. And I just, I have such wonderful memories of my late mom and my dad and my brother and sister and I just laughing and hooting and hollering and talking about our day. And then, and then that continued with my kids. We had so much fun around the family dinner table. It was just wonderful. Um, and then I come across uh, this article, article in the Wall Street Journal. For busy families, it opens. Gathering together for dinner can feel like an impossibility. Children could use it now more than ever. The headline, by the way, is family dinners are key to children's health. So why don't we eat together more? Gathering around the dinner table has become harder as family schedules fill up with implications for children and teens. I don't quite understand that. I mean, that's always stated as if it's something that happened to us. Well, exactly. Like every article must, it opens up with an account of one particular uh, family or a mom and her daughter. Uh, Robin Blackburn's teenage daughter uh, has after-school activities that fall over dinner time, making evening meals at home a thing of the past. Their SUV has become their de facto dinner table. Oh, wow. They have dinner in the car four nights a week. Wow. Eating during the hour-long drive home from robotics club meetings. Eating in the car four nights a week. Dinner table events. Maybe you do that. I don't do that, she gets to her daughter's school 15 minutes early to eat her own dinner in the front seat while waiting for the, the kid, who then comes out and eats as they drive home. Uh, they've been eating on the go for years. Their dining table so underused that they got rid of it and turned the family dining room into a lounge. Hmm. And then mom herself says, we wonder why so many kids have anxiety. Well, gee, they have a rigorous academic schedule and after-school activities, and they're eating in the car. Well, that would, you know, that that's one end of it. The other end of it is what you were talking about, just the getting together and, like, decompressing your day with, you know, what'd you do? Here's something funny that happened or strange that happened or scary that happened or hard that happened or whatever as everybody kind of goes through their day. God, how much value is there in that? Well, and the kids, in telling their stories, always express their hopes and their fears, their concerns. Uh, to you, whether spoken or unspoken, in a way that you can help them with. And and you miss that. And then they go into the youth mental health crisis that was building for a decade before the pandemic has worsened it badly over the last two years. 44% of high school students said they felt persistently sad or hopeless in the past year. Uh, and we, we've gone through those statistics, and I don't want to make everybody sad, but it's an absolute tragedy. And again, uh, closing the schools as long as they were in blue states was an absolute unforgivable crime. Having said that, you are not your culture or your town. You're part of it, but you don't have to swim with the current or the tide. Now, I totally get since birth, I have been an especially independent and stubborn person. Speaking of, you know, family dinners, it was one of the running jokes. I was probably two, year olds, two years old when I said, Joey, do it Joey's self, when somebody was trying to help me with something. Um, so I realize this comes a little more naturally to me than it does to some people. Uh, but if there's an activity that your kid is into that eliminates family dinners, maybe choose a different activity. Or maybe get together with other parents and over the course of time make it clear to the powers that be or the organizers that be or whatever that, hey, the fact that this makes family dinner impossible is not acceptable. Let's talk about the schedule. Just because some guy 
scheduled Taekwondo at 6 o'clock and your kid's into Taekwondo, that's not justification for eliminating, eliminating, I'm a little fired up, eliminating family dinner. That's not a good enough reason. Be stronger than that. Rank the things in your child's life. Take a moment to contemplate that and then fashion their lives in your life among that which is most important, not around some guy scheduled it then. Yeah, that's that thing I try to apply on a regular basis, that whatever you're doing is your priority. And if you look at it that way, it can get a little scary sometimes. Um, Explain that. I love that point. Well, the example you just gave would be a perfect one. If you're doing Taekwondo and it kept you from having family dinner, you have just declared Taekwondo more important than family dinners. Now, maybe you believe that. I doubt you believe that. I certainly don't believe that. But whatever you're doing at the time is your priority. You've just made it your priority. So, right. and, and sometimes it's okay. Like watching a football game, you can't, you know, have nose to the grindstone all the time. But you just have to admit, I have to admit to myself that if I'm, you know, uh, shopping for crap on the internet on my phone, I've decided that's more important than, I don't know, uh, going through the stack of mail or uh, exercising or whatever else I could be doing at the time, hanging yeah. out with my kids. I've just decided for right now, I think it's more important to peruse the Internet than do something with my kids. And Boy, if you that's look at it such that a way, great exercise. It is. It, 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 it's, it's a little sobering a lot of times. And you know I hate sobriety. Um <laughs> You know how many how many guys have we known through our life? Uh, maybe you know them. Maybe uh, maybe you are them uh, who swear up and down that their kids are their sure. highest priority or whatever, and they work ninety hours a week. Sure, exactly. Yeah, what you are doing is your priority. Yeah, without a doubt, and there's no getting around that. Yeah, you know that reminds me uh, about uh, one of my favorite Kurt Vonnegut books, Mother Night. The theme of which is loosely, you are not who you claim to be. You are what you do. You are what your life has caused. Uh, so, so quit deluding yourself. So, there's the uh, don't even want to get off on the angle of the nutrition of it. Clearly, it's less nutritious to be eating in your car four nights a week than uh, eating at home, and we have a giant obesity problem. Uh, I always am. Uh, you got to be a little careful. I need to be a little careful of any time the easier, cheaper way is the decision you make. You need to, you know, might want to look into how much that influenced your decisions. I'm thinking about working for a company one time that I realized over time every decision they make is coincidentally the cheaper way to do it. Um, and I don't think that's, you know, just a coincidence. So if it's just a lot easier to go through the drive through than to shop for groceries and make the meal, that's not really a good enough reason for me to. Decide not to have the family meal. Well, and I don't want to be, you know, accused of being an alarmist or trying to terrify people, but we were just talking about the stupendous number of people, the terrible number of people who are dying of fentanyl poisoning, fentanyl overdose, including a hell of a lot of teenagers, beautiful young people just starting their lives, dying because they thought they were taking an Adderall pill from a pharmacy and it was laced with fentanyl and it kills them. Teens who have frequent family dinners have significantly lower rates of drug and alcohol use compared with those who share fewer family meals. Several pivotal studies have found. Yeah, so that's not the least bit shocking to me. Not less likely to attempt least. suicide too. Right. I, uh, I I I make that happen a lot of times. My kids groan about turning. Why can't we just eat in front of the TV? And no, no, we're gonna turn off the TV. And we're gonna come over here. And we're all gonna sit down at the table. And we're gonna eat. And it's always great once I can get them over to the table. It's always fantastic. Right. Mm-hmm. 